A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be. The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode in a look back at Joss Whedon's iconic shows. I'm MC, and I'm here with... Andy! David! Jan! And I'm Logan. It's like Mouseketeer Roll Call. Yeah, it really is, <laughs> yeah. For me, yes. I want to go full-on hairspray. I, 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 am, I am Annette. Oh, okay, you can totally be Annette. I want to be Cubby! <laughs> Mouseketeers was before my time. Sorry. Oh. It was before my time, too, but, you know. I immediately go Ryan and Brittany. I'm actually, oh. it's it's slightly before my time, because I, like, watched them when they were in reruns, and I'm sure David did, too. Yeah. But I, you know, because Annette was already, like, in actual movies by that point. But I Great. remember it well, because I used to watch it in reruns or syndication or whatever. So. And I'm just a pop culture junkie that knows that kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and it's and it's Tuesday, and Tuesday is guest star day. But anyway. Anyways, <laughs> yes. So we are going to be reviewing an actual Buffy episode and not just talk about uh, the Mickey Mouse Club, <laughs> even though that is awesome. That's going to be our next podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. Every single episode of the Mickey Mouse Club we'll cover. Yeah. Uh, this is episode uh, five of season two, Reptile Boy. It originally aired October 13th, 1997, and it was written and directed by David Greenwalt, who um, I realized after looking at this episode and his previous episode, Teacher's Pet, and some of the future episodes that are coming up, I really don't like David Greenwalt all that much. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't either. We we had a whole talk on one of the episodes, on Teacher's Pet episode, about all the gross teen sex comedies he wrote before he started becoming a TV writer, so I don't yeah. have a great opinion of him either. Yeah, I'm looking at him up now, because I mean, I know I've seen his name in a million places, but I didn't realize what he was, like, uh, responsible for in the past, so. He was a yes. co- he's the co-creator of Angel, and then, I believe he's the showrunner on Grimm? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah he is, I'm looking at that now. So, um. And he also, he wrote an episode of Moonlight, the, the one that, um, Jason Doran was on, right? The, the vampire show. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. I like and I mean, Doran. just looking at the Buffy and Angel episodes that he's done, I mean, he did shit like she, oh. uh, he, he did, I, I, uh, I fall to pieces. He did Ted, which I absolutely loathe. Did you say love or loathe? Loathe. I don't like that episode. Okay. Mm. Um, yeah. I am rather indifferent to it. It seems like a lot of the episodes that Greenwald does has like some super problematic shit with women. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. especially um, this one. And this episode, this episode definitely included because oh my For god, sure. just oh. I, I really went into this expecting to hate it, and I didn't hate it as much as I did back in the day. Because just to me, it was like it was a badly written, possibly well-meaning parable about date rape i I don't know that's i mean that's where i i took from it and that's you know we'll talk about it more but it still had many many issues yes okay so basically probably the most redemptive part of this episode for me 
happens to be the very first part of this episode. My I one of my favorite openings of the season. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, this is like. I, I see a lot of people online comparing it to like early episodes of Friends, and I'm like, I don't really care about. I mean, I love Friends, <laughs> but it's like I don't want to compare. Specifically, there is an episode of Friends where they watch a foreign film and do something. Are like with dubbing it. in the language? Yeah, yeah, it's so. I mean, like I saw that specific comparison made online yeah. when I was looking up what movie it was. Yeah. So, but I, I honestly just don't care. I just love that they are hanging out together, and it's just they're just being friends, and they're braiding Willow's hair and eating <laughs> slim tunes. I thought that was adorable. That you know, all of a sudden Buffy's just like sitting there playing with Willow's hair, and it was just it was just a nice, intimate, like yeah, as you said, friendly moment mm-hmm. with no angst, no vampires, no Scooby stuff going on. Just they're braiding, chilling. they're braiding her hair, but only the Xander side is properly braided. <laughs> so Xander's the one that actually can braid, and Buffy's just like kind of foofing. Yeah. Okay, Xander's... I took it as Buffy had done one side already and was doing the other because Xander couldn't possibly have those skills. But that's no Xander. I... Who's, who's to say that he or, doesn't? Or... I mean, maybe he went to the Chris Pratt school of braiding. <laughs> All right, it's possible. <laughs> or, or maybe just Willow taught him that when they were like seven. I don't. Who knows? Yeah, I could see that after the yellow crown thing. Yeah, I, I I do love that Xander's side is nicely braided and and he's playing with the ends still. So like I I just want a headcanon that Xander braided it perfectly and Buffy's just sort of like not paying attention. All right, I I'll buy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. MC, the opening of this—it's my first note. It's one of my favorite openings of the season. I really do love uh, the more I. You know, the older I get, the more I watch the show over and over and over again. Ad nauseum, the more I really enjoy the human aspects and human interactions, sometimes more than the supernatural. Yeah. I've actually, I mean, it's horrible to say this because I know we're doing this rewatch. I've been bouncing around to later episodes of Buffy. <gasps> Me too. Ones that we're not going, ones that we're not going to be getting to for like another three years or something. <laughs> and that's one of the things that really bums me out when we get to the later seasons. And that's the, um, the fracturing of the Scooby gang. But here we get this lovely opening where they're just hanging out mm-hmm. just with no, you know, they're just enjoying each other's company. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. It is, it is a lovely moment. And there are a couple of really lovely moments. There's some really problematic stuff with women in this episode, but I do want to credit Greenwald for understanding these characters and their specific voices and mm-hmm. adding some of that really cute relationship dynamic stuff, in, in, which there is a bit. There's some really great Giles and Buffy stuff in this episode, too. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There's also yeah. a really nice bit with uh, during the scene where Cordy is giving Buffy her her instructions for the party, where yes. like after uh, Willow and Xander pass them and go and sit on a couch somewhere, they have Great this line. really nice scene where the two of them like just have this thing like one of them they're just talking and one of them hands the other a coke and they share a coke and this and they just have this conversation and and you really get the feeling from that scene that if there wasn't this whole running subplot about the romantic tension between them because you know willow wants to date xander and all that it's like they're just really good friends they are Mm -hmm. yeah it it does actually it it backs up xander's at least belief that they are best friends i mean even if you take out the ust part he's acting like she's his best friend he's very comfortable with her well they they are best friends yeah Yeah. I i i don't think there's any doubt about that i mean throughout the series things keep coming up 
Looking like this. at this episode, this might actually be one of the first episodes where there is absolutely no reference to the fact that Willow has a thing for Xander. No, but yeah. she and Buffy still go on about Angel. Ugh. Well, yeah, well, we'll, we'll um, get to that soon. Yeah, the, the, the sitting in the little common area room, that's another note of mine, is I absolutely adore that joke. It's so casually done, and I think the comedic timing on it, the orgy joke, is mm. oh, yeah. yes. spot on. Yeah. yeah. Well, do we think, like, the sharing of the coke, do we think that's a Greenwald thing, or do we think that might be the director? I, I missed well, Greenwald is the director. Oh, okay. All right, yeah. then. Yeah, then he gets the credit. Okay. <laughs> I suspect Greenwald might be a better director than he is writer. I believe I admit I watched this at three in the morning, and I took notes, but not everything penetrated my little 3 a.m. Yeah. brain at that point, so... Mm-hmm. And uh, during the scene of uh, Willow and uh, Xander together, I, the, probably my favorite joke of this episode is, it's not a skew, it's cockeye. Yes. yes. <laughs> skew means cockeye. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a really good one. Is it, Willow has a great character development in this, this episode. episode. She, you're like, what? Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's really... When she yells at the guys at the yes. end, I'm like, you go, yes. girl. No, I thought that was yeah. beautiful. That she outburst is wonderful. Voice. And she's yeah. right. Yeah. I really like that. I really wish that maybe, you know, Giles, you know, it, Giles is being such an asshole to Buffy. And it's like, <laughs> you need to train. Giles, how about you take some of that energy and fucking train Willow to defend herself because she's going in to that frat house and, you know, just kind of, oh, you know what? While even Xander is throwing punches, Willow is just kind of flailing and trying to, you know, stay back from the action. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, God damn it, Willow. <laughs> and that pissed me off, actually, because you know, the week before, when we have her, she's picking up busts and banging people on the head to save Cordy's ass from vampires um, and, you know, in um, school hard. And then all of a sudden, yeah, she's suddenly standing around screeching like, you know, mm-hmm. a scream queen. We could say she's standing around screeching, or we could say that she's focusing on the real issue at hand while the boys are fighting a bunch of, like, That's teenagers. True. Which is true. She's like, yeah. where's my best friend and this random missing girl? And she keeps saying, <laughs> guys, basement, now. Hello. Yes. Yeah. Right. So she's being observant on that level of, like, getting a layout of the terrain and figuring out where they are. She, she's basically on topic and no one else is. <laughs> exactly. True. <laughs> but she's, she's still doing some screaming and yeah. Yeah. flailing about and it just kind of bothers. Because, I mean, I I don't need everybody to be like, rawr, I'm going to fight. But I need that to happen sometimes. It's still going to be... Like four episodes before we get Willow staking a vampire for the first time, and she doesn't mm-hmm. even do that unassisted. <laughs> and also, Allie had to ask for it. So, right. yeah, it's a work in progress. Yes, but it, it, at least she's—we've t- got something better than we had last season because last season, very true, she was yeah. essentially a, a walking plot device. Yeah, no, she has definitely more of a characterization here, um, and it's characterization that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about some discrepancies, would you mind? Since yeah, I'd like sure. to redeem myself. I mentioned in a previous episode, I'm not sure if it was the last episode or the one before. Um, Angel's age. And David absolutely corrected me. He does say that he is 241 in this episode. However, yes. I did not do the basic math wrong at all. Um, so if Liam was born in 1727, as it is yes. said that he did, um, by 1987... He should be, if we discount the 26 years he lived as a human, 244, or if we do include them, 270. So <laughs> I think that's just an example of the writers completely ignoring their own canon when they 
would later go on to like give a specific date when he was born. Yes. Yeah. Did the math very poorly. <laughs> it's, it's basically Doctor Who aging at this point, where he's just making up numbers. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, at 126, Spike is barely 200. So. Right. <laughs> I don't think they understand how time works. Is what's happening here. <laughs> yeah. Timey wimey. Um, um, there's also yeah. a really big inconsistency. I, you know, I don't know if we're going to go linear, linear, linearly. Thank you. Linearly, yeah. Through the episode, but like, I'm sorry, Angel. How did he get in the frat house? I was oh. gonna. I, actually, there is a theory on that. There is yeah, a reason. I, yeah, I read yeah, that, that on the internet last night too. Yeah. So. Yes, there there is a theory on that. It bugged me too. So I actually yeah, did I, look it up. Uh, there's a theory that Makita, the demon, actually tech um, owns the frat. That like the cult huh. kind of gave the oh, that's frat. A, that's a different theory than the one that's, I saw. Yeah. So. I think probably Jen and I were talking about the same one. The one where since the boys are transitory, yeah, uh, they're they're or not transient, permanent rather. dwellers, so therefore yeah. it's not their house, which is kind of BS. But yeah, but that's, I mean, that, that's the internet justifying a huge mistake on the part of the writer well, and director yeah, of well, this yeah. episode. Can 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 Angel go into hotels? No. Oh, yes. Yes, can, that's public accommodations. Yes. Then it's well, but, kind of a fine point here, I think. Here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, they, they can't go into dorm rooms. That yeah, is so true I think MC's, I think MC's theory that since the, the Naga owns the house or the frat house or whatever, that seems to make more sense since. Yeah, uh, actually, the during the, um, the ritual, Tom says that they have no wealth or possessions without Makita. Okay. So Makita, yeah. Mm. I mean, it, it is totally bullshit headcanon. Angels should not be able to get in there. Yeah, no. But I will accept this. This actually does make sense to me. And we will find out, I believe, in the, in Buffy. But at the very least, we find out on Angel that Angel does not need an invitation to get into a demon's house. Okay. okay. Well, could it be that the the frat guy who sort of waved Xander in, there's like a blanket invitation and he just wandered there, in behind there, Xander? There was a suggestion of that too. Yeah. So. And honestly, mm. honestly, though, it's really <laughs> the writers fucking it up. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, we can really think is. of all cool headcanons, but like, it's just, it's inconsistency. No, it's a plot um, hole and it, and, and it should have been dealt with. It's, it's, just, it's my job to come up with head cannons. Or, <laughs> I know, baby, and you're so good at it, and I love or, you for it. Or it's <laughs> not shown, fantastic. but like Giles or Xander or Willow invites him in. But don't you have to be uh, the house owner work. or to live yeah, there? Have to, yeah. Yeah. You have yeah. to they, live there. You couldn't do that. Again, the question of ownership here is kind of fuzzy. I mean, look, 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 this is all speculation anyway. So, I mean... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, in theory, it's a frat house. So the people who own it, it's not even people who live there. It should either be the frat as a blanket corporation, as it were, a blanket organization, as it were. Or, yeah, it's the demon, so... I'm pretty sure it's it's probably the demon. Yeah, because at the end, after he's gone, they're saying, like, all these people are losing their money and all that, so... Mm-hmm. The frat house is one small, tiny part of that. So. Which is, frankly, my favorite part. Like, yeah, come on, Scooby. Seize the means of production. Down with capitalism. Destroy destroy capitalist scum. The fact that... Also, the other <laughs> thing I was thinking while watching this episode is, okay, can we make a pact here with us? We find out the date and the... T- the date and the location of where Trump and the uh, Trump administration are keeping their version of Makita. We kill oh it my and God. all this bullshit is over. That that's exactly what that's exactly what's going on. <laughs> well, if anybody goes to my 
If anybody goes to my my Instagram account, there I, I did put up a reptile, and I did say I know who I wanted to feed to Makita. So there you go. In this case, <laughs> I'm part I of this pact. All the men in power BS in this, you know, like they all get their power from worshiping Makita and doing the sacrifice. We just need to find out when that next sacrifice is taking place. Take out the demon, and then that's it. Like no more Trump yeah. administration. Well, it must be in the basement of Trump Tower, which is going to be hard to get to. I know, I know, but logistics, because I think that is the only reason, the only reason that he got elected is because there's some kind of demon involved. Oh, that's obvious. About logistics. (laughs) Um, I would like to know what the fuck is up with the guys kidnapping a girl a week yes. before the yeah. ritual. I was, I was wondering about that. <laughs> How long you. do they have to collect girls? Yeah, because with Buffy and, and, and Cordy get taken that night and they're ready to feed them that night. So And they're only they're only sacrificing three girls. And it's like there were a bunch of girls at that party, so why the uh, fuck are you taking a girl a week early? Is there okay. maybe a, a like virgin stipulation that they don't like cover at all because of lazy writing? Uh they don't mention. I don't think they mention a virgin stipulation. They uh, don't mention a virgin sacrifice. Um, so, and I mean, how the fuck are the guys supposed to know that uh, <laughs> Buffy and Cordelia are virgins? I think that's why is they, Cordelia a virgin? I don't, I don't know, know, but so. I think that's probably why they prey on high school girls. Yeah, I, I would mm. think so, and not random mm. like college college girls, sophomore yeah. or juniors at the party. But mm. there, there's no way to know. Which is again a gross assumption of when people make their sexual debut that's for sure for sure <laughs> i can see this crowd making gross assumptions all the time yeah so. yeah but it's kind of bs i mean when i was a college freshman and that was in 1980 i was one of the few people that you know was still a virgin in those days because most of the girls and i was living in an all-women dorm and a lot of them had you know been had lots more experience than i did so mm-hmm. it, it's a really is a gross assumption mm-hmm. that high school girls are going to be pure and what have you no, there absolutely. is something very peculiar. It's not out of the realm of possibility that there should be two people with the same last name, but both the victim that is taken the week before and not the main guy, the guy who's flirting with Buffy, but the guy who like went with Cordelia, Richard, mm-hmm. both have the last name Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lazy. I also note that Richard Anderson is the name of the actor best known for playing Oscar Goldman on the Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman. Huh. Yes. <laughs> who, also, who actually has a, a huge, huge listing on IMDb, but basically that's what everyone knows him from. And Richard Anderson is the very first boy I ever went on a date with. We saw the Karate Kid. I don't Aww. think it's the same Richard Anderson, but that was the name of my very first date. Andy, what if I told you about dating boys who sacrifice girls? <laughs> well, okay. I never um, kill a boy on a first date. Well, <laughs> I guess I'm out too. <laughs> I can't promise anything. But anyways, with uh, these two characters, with these two characters named Anderson, and it it's not like it was just like in the script or something or in like some supplementary material. It's actually mentioned in the episode that both of them are named Anderson. Hmm. So it's not a coincidence. So I'm almost wondering if there was a bit cut out where it turns out that Callie was actually related to Richard and that he um, 
he sacrificed like his sister or something, which is which is weird headcanoning. But I thought I would throw it out there because this is what I do. (laughs) It might explain why she was there early, though. Yeah, you could just grab her from school. Yeah, like might as well just grab her and keep her on hand. And I believe he's actually the one that when she tries to escape early in the episode, I believe he's the one that's talking to her, um, you know, to take when he's taking her back. Yes, because he's the guy who gets the reveal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like it would make like if you go in and you watch it thinking that there is a relation between them, it actually adds a layer to things that this episode desperately needs more layers. Yes. yes. <laughs> this is a rather unpleasant layer, but yes, it's a layer. Yeah. Well, let's face it, they're very unpleasant people in that frat, so... Yes. This entire episode is unpleasant. I, 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 in fact, I wanted to ask, it's like, we, we don't get a, a real answer as to whether Tom is a junior or a senior, he, he says he's a saying, senior. He says he's, he's a, a senior, senior, and then he says he's a junior. Oh. So, but like, how, how, just how icky is it for a junior or a senior in college to ask out a junior in high school? It's icky. That's what it's I icky. thought. Oh, it's so icky. I, I'm like, I knew people who did, you know, in both, yeah. both ways, but it's pretty gross. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I knew it was icky. I was just not sure how icky. But then why are we cool with it at the end when Angel and Buffy come to a sort of understanding? Because That's my question. I'm not too. cool with it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not okay with it. Yeah, yeah. Cause, yeah exactly. Because, yeah. like, yeah. not only is he 26 when he died, technically, he's also, you know, throwing a couple of hundred years on top of that. We're not sure how many yeah. years, apparently. Right. So. <laughs> but at least, he's, at least he's not trying to sacrifice her. Um, not yet. Um, I was actually watching some later episodes of Buffy, and one of the ones that I watched was Crush, when they get into the fact that um, Dawn has a thing for Spike. Yeah. And the thing is, actually, the age difference between Dawn and Spike is less than the age difference between Buffy and Angel. Yep. Yeah. How old is Spike supposed to be? I mean, how old is he was turned? When he was turned, I don't 30? think they ever get into that. I would say around thirty-ish, right? Uh, I don't know. They've always gotten like really like uh, um, vague they, about never really covered yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, asking um, out asking out a a sixteen-year-old girl, unless you're you t- a boy between the ages of fourteen and eighteen, is just not mm-hmm. gonna. That doesn't fly. Um, yeah, I did it. I was dating tons of random 22 year olds when I was 16. Um, it's not something that doesn't happen. I was also scamming them for beers because I was, I was dating the nerdy, um, soundboard operators at like a bunch of theaters that I was doing community theater at. So I would scam them for beer. Um, and they probably felt worse about it than I did, but you know, what you gonna do? Uh, and I, I was just going to say also, in, in defense, at least in older, I mean, my, my dad is seven years older than my mother, and my mom met my dad when she was 16, but she was a freshman in college at that point, and my dad was in night school, so he yeah. was, you know, hanging around. So my And my mother seemed older, so I don't think he, they actually and, was aware, but that also was 50 years ago. So. And yeah, your dad was a frat boy no, who was no, specifically no, no, no. trying... And, and so even if you yeah. take this, if, even if you take this away from the Makita issue, and the like sacrifice issue and make it just that metaphor for like grody age inappropriate frat boys hitting on teenagers 
Like yeah. that's what's going on here. It's purposely they're 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 using their status as older guys to pick up girls that are going to be a lot more impressionable and know less about themselves than a college woman or someone older that's going to be like you guys are full of shit enough yeah i mean you you take the big uh, snake demon out of it yeah you still have a bunch of senior college students taking junior girls to a frat party giving them drinks pressuring them to drink them by saying it's like oh when i was your age i wasn't into adult things either (laughs) and oh by the way the drinks are drugged right yeah like, like i said it's a bad it's a very bad parable about date rape and that you know from 20 years ago and, and it's more prevalent now so it's it's very skeevy it's, it's well here is my problem with it as a parable for for rape there is an actual rape attempt in it yep mm-hmm. um i would just it's like they didn't need they didn't need to fucking do that right they i mean it it would have come off perfectly clear if they didn't have that skeevy ass guy feeling up Buffy while she was unconscious on a bed, uh, it would have come off perfectly fine. And, you know, everybody would know exactly what they're driving at. And it's like, no, we have to go this one step farther. Because it's David Greenwald and he's gross. Right. <laughs> and also, in case you missed it <laughs> the first 12 times, you know, let's just throw an extra layer of grossness. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it's not... I mean, I fucking hated these frat guys, and I was so glad that yeah. they all got there. Apparently, in the original script, um, Tom was supposed to actually get eaten by Makita. Yes. Like, in in Makita's death throes, he was going to eat Tom, but the special effects were not good enough. I actually think enough. having him be locked up in perpetuity is a better punishment than Yeah, no, I, I like that. I like that yeah. that happened. Um, but, I mean, even outside of that... There was so much slut shaming of Cordelia in this. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. totally. Uh, I mean, Xander—that well, Xander is is skeevy and icky in this for the most part. Yeah. the end as well. I mean, his whole shtick just makes me want to. She's slap him also again. pretty hard on Xander. You've got that whole yeah. dynamic going yeah. on with Cordelia, where she's going to give it to him right back. Yeah, yeah but I'm... Xander's also gross about Buffy. That's what I'm oh, saying. Oh, he's, he's just, yeah, his, his sure. whole shtick is like with any woman. It's just like stop, stop now. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, hard as it is to believe, Xander's jealousy is getting even more tiresome at this point. Oh, God. (laughs) I know. I'm like, enough of you. Stop it. Yeah, it's it's like the writers don't quite know what else to do with him. It's like, please, just stop. So even in the end, when he turns out that he's right, that these guys are really bad for them, I'm just like, I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Stop, Xander. Uh, The only thing that I really like from Xander in this episode is at the very end when he's bad-mouthing Angel. <laughs> and it's just like, hey, man. Hey, man. I know, and it's great. Just, and it's not like he like has a moment where he like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. He's just like, hey, man. And then just goes back to reading his paper. <laughs> mm. Yeah, actually. Yeah, Xander, they, uh, looking at the writing, there is one nice, there is nice, like, legitimate callback when he, like, they, they have, the, when he says, oh, you can smell the blood, that's the kind of guy you want to party with. And then later when Angel shows up yeah. and vamps out when they're going to go in and save everyone, he's like, oh, he, he is the guy you want to party with. Yeah. I was like, okay, that, that's actually a decent callback. That, yeah, that's not that's not bad. Um, though, honestly, with these interactions with Xander and Angel, mm. I see why they didn't want to bring ever. Uh, in season five of Angel, apparently Nikki offered 
valiantly to come over onto Angel for some guest appearances. Because mm. he uh, needed the cash. <laughs> well, yeah, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> I did. But um, the Joss and everybody was like, no, no, Nikki, it's okay. We don't know if Xander would really fit in yeah. on the show. Oh, especially because... with both Angel and Spike. Yeah. And who... it's like there is absolutely nothing that he could have done. Because, no. I mean, there's, there's, there's only a couple of times when I really like um, the Angel and uh, Xander dynamic, mm-hmm. uh, I and like, I think most of them have passed already. I feel like the legit there'd be more legitimacy in a Xander and Spike relationship, considering the summer without Buffy. They do have that confrontation yeah. where Spike, you know, when they bring her back, like you know, I fought next to you and things like that. I feel like that would be a better dynamic. There's really none of that with with. They, they also live together a couple of times, and if yeah. I <laughs> yeah, and if I heard correctly, I mean, I don't read the comics, but I. Uh, do occasionally like wiki the comics just to see what's going on, and I'm pretty sure they're sharing an apartment right now, and they're doing it willingly. I thought so. that they, I thought he was living with Buffy right now. He, well, I mean, you know, some stuff, you know, yeah. it takes a while to get updated. But the last I heard was that Spike and Xander were living together. Why am um, I suddenly hearing the theme from the Odd Couple in my head? Did I get the theme song right? Was that it? Yes, you did. Awesome. Can these two live together in a part without driving each other crazy? Nope. Nope. <laughs> well, they have to, well, at this point, they have lived together a couple of times. Yeah, no, it, it works. In season four yeah, and season works. seven. On this date, Xander Harris was asked to leave his his residence. <laughs> this, re- this request came from all of us. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, um, I... Uh, can we so. talk about Willow for a second? I know we briefly oh, yeah. covered yes, her. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. I do want to just really, I loved Willow in this episode, mm-hmm. mostly because she's a solid wing woman. Yes. <laughs> she's she's kind of nailing it uh, in that respect. But uh, I'm just really fond of her. I like her oh. talking about coffee and yes. how it's yes. bitter. And, yeah, and, she, and she's like, it's not a relationship. It's a caffeinated beverage. Yes, it's <laughs> hot and bitter like a relationship. <laughs> and I'm like, Willow, how do you know? <laughs> I think she, it's just read it on the internet. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a great illusion. line. I think she that was, was a line from her Doogie Howser MD fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's quite possible. But also, I like. I think there's there's certainly some bitterness in her relationship with Xander, as much as for she cares sure, for him. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I love her in this episode. I, it's like I, I I what I you know the outburst is wonderful at Giles and. Mm-hmm. And, and angel and it's like and they deserve it but but I, yeah yeah but but the thing the thing I, I that i absolutely love is at the end she's like and this hasn't made me feel any better <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this hasn't made me feel any better and buffy's still in danger yeah. let's go yeah. exactly I also, I, I, personally i also really like the fact that she can't she's very uncomfortable covering up for buffy's lies and yes. she finally like burst it out because you can see I, I just thought it was really good acting on allison's part because you can see the frustration and it's comedic but it's also like yes this is her she's not somebody who's used to lying who's comfortable lying and she doesn't know how to cover up and then just suddenly burst it out uh we actually talked about this in um i robot you jane actually willow lies a fucking oh, will always lies <laughs> willow is a big fat liar who lies and, she, and not only mm-hmm. is she a liar but she is a liar about the fact that she lies okay yeah because I, she freaks out about this kind of stuff but she does it all the time well i think she's more uncomfortable with other people's lies than her own fair enough that makes yeah. sense well, that because she can more justify her own lies Mm. Perhaps it's more that she's uncomfortable specifically lying to Giles. Maybe 
do we do we get any sort of indication when her um, mentioned sort of crush on Giles? Well, at this point, ends? she already has the picture of Giles up in her locker, so I would say she probably has. <laughs> I, I'm saying that probably went up like at the end of the harvest. Yeah. So, so yes. maybe it's just that she doesn't want to lie to Giles. Mm, well, maybe. he does yeah. want to lie to Giles or lie with lie Giles. With Giles. Giles. I knew you were going there. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I'm predictable. It just as an aside, it's just like in the, the realms of fan fiction back in the day, I had friends who like legitimately shipped Buffy and Giles, and I read some very good future stuff of Buffy and Giles because when the show was still going. But I don't think I've ever actually seen or read any like Willow and Giles, and I'm surprised about that. Oh, there's actually. a ton. Okay, mm-hmm. a ton. so some, I guess I just never knew anybody that shipped them. So yeah. Yeah, no, that was a very common pairing okay. back in the day because even before, because I mean, it's not revealed until season four, five, five, four. yeah, um, five, four, no, well, no, it's 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 in the episode where um, where the wild things are, where you five. know, Buffy, four, four. yeah, where uh, yeah, because uh, Riley is still in the frat house. It's the yeah. one where Buffy and Riley are like fucking in the frat house for like the <laughs> entire episode. And they have to go get Giles from the espresso pump when he's singing. Behind blue eyes. Yes. Yes. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Willow says, I remember I had a crush on him all those years. And I think even Tara in that episode's like, huh, I see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Dude, everyone's straight for Giles. <laughs> mm. I-, I have a question actually. Uh, is Willow canonically homosexual or bisexual, or do in we not episode, know? Oh, do not get me started on this. Yeah, we'll don't get me started get, on this either. We're going to talk about yet. this later. We'll and talk I about that in a couple years. Okay, okay. No, I was just, I was wondering if there was a canonical. I'm not, it's not called speculation. bi erasure. Uh, ca- canonic, canonically, she's a lesbian. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but, but we will definitely. We will talk about that. Oh, yeah, no, that's, that's fine. I, I, I'm willing. I'm wait. I know speculation will come, but uh, and and commentary. Yeah. But uh, yeah. although you can, they retconned it because obviously when they were writing her at that point, Joss hadn't decided who the gay character was going to be. So she's yeah. canonically straight at this point. Well, at this point, so, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's uh, just something I've been wondering. Yeah. Think because I think about things. It's a <laughs> you, it's you a think problem. About Willow being. Bisexual. I think about I think about Willow. <laughs> Oh, I like Willow. Willow Spank Inferno. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes um, I think about two girls doing a spell together, and then yeah. I do a spell by myself. Especially <laughs> in the back of ice cream vans. Mm. Oh, okay, so answer. back yeah. on this episode. Yes, we, 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 I, we've I abandoned really not... we've abandoned the linear approach totally at this point, right? Oh yeah, we pretty okay, much okay, basically. Now I have to like um, search through my notes to see where everything is. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I have just like one aside because I, I had mentioned this the other day that I remembered that there was a Babylon Five connection. The guy who actually mm. played uh, Makita, who you don't see under the makeup, uh, Robin. Atkins Downs, I think I'm gonna. Yes. Yeah, Robert. Yes. Robert Atkins Downs. He's actually gorgeous. He was a regular character in the fifth season of Babylon Five, a character mm, called yes, Byron, yes, who was mm-hmm. love interest, and he's really good, and he's so pretty. And when I found out that he was like in this, I was not knowing the episode. I thought he was one of the frat boys, and then I'm like, wait a minute, you're hiding his pretty face under snake makeup, <laughs> under makeup and dodgy CGI. Yeah, snake up. Oh, so sorry. Uh, he's actually a decent that. actor, but he's. I, I feel so sorry for him that he had that role. 
So at yeah. least he got to redeem himself on Babylon 5, sort of, because mm-hmm. season 5 yeah. is kind of a... My note says, hello, I'm a reptile and also a penis. Thank you, yes. Andy. Oh my god, I was literally waiting to bring that up. Thank you. Oh, but yeah. I think David had something. Did you have something? Yeah. Oh no, I was just because uh, with, with the Babylon 5 reference, I happened to look up Optic Nerve, because I was trying to figure out if they actually won an Emmy for Buffy and for what. They uh, claim to. They, they no, it, like, this is the interesting thing. I'm looking all over the internet, and it keeps saying Optic Nerve got won three Emmys. One for Buffy, one for the X-Files, and one for Babylon 5. But I cannot find the details as to what they won it for. Tweet, tweet Glenn Hetrick. Yeah, that's, no, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Uh, I also notice uh, that on the IMDb page for this episode... There is a special effects technician uh, credited. No other special effects people have taken any credit for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine why. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Logan, back to the penis. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Well, Well, I mean, that's what I was talking about in terms of bad parables. It's like, you know, without without making any puns here, they're literally shoving it down your throat at this point, you know, in a Freudian manner, that here is the giant phallic symbol. Yeah, and then well, and then the woman escapes and reclaims her, you know, autonomy by cutting it off. Yeah, right. yeah. I, I mean, I, I, maybe maybe it's me, but it's like, can you really avoid that easily when you've got a snake monster? Nope. No, no. I mean well, that's just why gonna does happen. it have to be a fucking snake monster? <laughs> I mean, there are so, so many snake monsters in Buffy. There, there's oh absolutely God. no reason why it has to be a snake monster other than to be a penis, right? Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, episode. if you. If you look at the scene at the beginning with Callie, uh, when they're carrying Callie off, all of the dialogue and the way they're carrying her off, it comes off like a gang rape. Oh, yeah. for sure. It's oh, really tasteful. Yeah. No, I'm... Oh, God. <laughs> Should we do... I mean, we have so many counters for, like, um, uh, Giles getting knocked out and, you know, improvised steak weapons, but I almost feel like we need to have a sexual assault counter. Because Ooh, that would just make me really sad. And I know, yeah, right? Yeah. It's going to enrage me because it happens. Yeah. I love this I show, already, but it definitely I, happens. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's not even like this is the first one that's happened. There's already nope. been a couple. Yeah. Maybe. And not just a woman, which I guess egalitarianism, but yeah. Ew. Mm. I I have so many feelings about the the sexual assault of men. Mm-hmm. On, yeah, in my I notes, know I, which is so weird that you know it's like you know. But what about the men? Mm. <laughs> so what about? But the in men this case, it's totally valid, MC, because we will see it happen and be addressed in a totally different way with the men in the in in the Buffyverse. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, when, once we get to those episodes where that will happen, I will have so many feelings. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, and actually, um, for, for those listeners who check out my YouTube show, I have addressed some of them in my uh, Joss Whedon video. So if you want to It's a great it out, video. Highly recommended. It. It's real good. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, Valid plug. Yeah, even in my notes, I'm just like, that's a big naga. And immediately after, that's a big misogynist naga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, the naga are not, like, at all, like... Makita is portrayed. No, no. No. It it just happens to be like a snake dude. But that's the only word I could come up with that wasn't snake dude. And considering the Bollywood in the beginning of the episode, I wonder if there wasn't a connection. I could could honestly see that. So here's the trivia on the name, Makita. 
Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it was like on one of the sides of one of the grips pieces of power tools. It's, yeah, the drills. Yeah, it's, it's the drills, it's, yeah. So and how David much more Greenwald- Freudian can you get? I mean, he spelled it differently, but... Right, yeah. but the but Greenwald said, oh, I, I thought I came up with it, and then I was walking around the set when we were shooting and went, oh, that's where I got that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and apparently there were plans to make Makita a recurring villain, and what? aren't we so glad oh. that there were CGI problems? So. Seriously, I mean, he's not penis, you know, phallic symbol <laughs> aside, he's really dull. What does he do? They just, they feed him and he pops up out of the, the snake pit and like, then she chops him up. I mean, then he really doesn't do anything. He's not scary. He's not interesting. You know, he doesn't have a personality. He's just blah. And the thing so. is, I, like, I'm looking at him like, it doesn't look like his mouth opens very wide. How is he going to eat? He basically looks like he's just going to, like, gnaw on their shoulders or something. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really kind of ridiculous. Although I have to say, like, before the commercial break, when we first see Nikita props to the editors they really cut down the amount of time we spent looking at him uh which is the way to do this when you have a not so great monster uh, it's the, the jaws scenario yeah see i'm thinking yeah. it's like a it's a, a lovecraft thing and maybe he sucks their brains out with the straw or well no. here is the thing and i hate that i am the one to bring this up because you know i i i don't like that my brain works like this um but there are bones from the from girls going mm-hmm. back 50 years like in not not the cavern that the girls were in but in where Makita was living and also Tom specifically said she's not here for your pleasure but for our masters mm-hmm. so oh, I'm pretty oh. sure Makita is dragging those girls back oh. to his lair and doing Whatever he needs to do, and I'm pretty sure he was eating them very, very slowly. Right. Okay. Oh, and he's like sarlacking them. Yeah. Well, he, I, I, ver- I, I verbified sarlacc. Thank you very much. I love it. <laughs> Yay. Well, I mean, snakes, eat, you know, do digest really, really slowly. So maybe there's some weird snake demon science behind this. Maybe not just you know. I think he's just keeping girls in his lair and doing whatever creepy ass thing David Greenwald is coming up with and just like eating like you know because he does have a small mouth just like eating part of them like at mm-hmm. a you know at yeah. a time so yeah. I don't think it, I don't think I don't think he was planning to like devour them whole yeah. yeah for my own peace of mind I'm just going to assume that they really didn't think it through very far no they didn't <laughs> I really hope there wasn't a moment in the writer's room where they were like, so he eats them slowly, right? Yeah, no. Great. I, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going for the real-world explanation of, no, they just didn't give a whole lot of thought to yeah. it. Because yeah, I'm just more comfortable that way. You know. Maybe he can disconnect his jaw. Like a real Possible. snake. Mm, okay, no, so... Okay. <laughs> there's, uh, there's something else that we haven't talked about in this episode uh, mm-hmm. a lot, and that's... um. The evolution of Buffy and Angel's relationship, and uh, when you kiss me, I want to die. Oh, I, I, like, I was waiting for somebody else to say that line. That is one of my least favorite it's lines. So bad. Ever. It's so bad. And David Twilight. Greenwald, David Greenwald, in the commentary, praises that line. 
Uh, and I'm just like, <laughs> well, I, I think he came up with it, so of course he did. Of course he did. But yeah. it's a fucking or, terrible. I, for, I forget if he said that he did and Joss said, oh, that's a good line, or Joss came up with it and he said it was a good line. I forget. But um, my question is, ha- ha- have they really, have they been doing a whole lot of kissing? No, Not just really. the one. And then yeah. the surprise vampire. I, to be fair, that is such a 16-year-old girl thing to say. It is. Mm-hmm. I, there are it a is. few times where I'm like, okay, such a 16-year-old girl thing to say, and I know we hate it when Willow and Buffy are just like, boys, 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 but it is kind of a 16-year-old girl thing yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Totally. And this whole overly dramatic relationship where it's like mm-hmm. fraught all the time, but... Angel is not a 16-year-old girl. I was gonna say! Okay, maybe, Angel, maybe um, Buffy is a 16-year-old girl and will say things like, when you kiss me, I want to die. But what the fuck is up with a 241-year-old saying, when I kiss you, you don't wake up from a deep sleep? What kind of line is that? It's, I, I don't know. That and- line is nothing but set up for the next line. Right. And on top of that, it's like all those people, again, who complained about edward and bella and their cheesy dialogue this is not helping that argument that Mm. buffy and angel's relationship is so much better and smarter and whatever because those lines are horrible so yeah so given that angel broods a lot and and he's you know does all that reading which may very well be lots of depressing poetry and fairy tales are we sure he's not a 16 year old girl okay so here's (laughs) here's where okay so i thought a lot about this while I was driving today, um, about Buffy, about Angel and all the gang, but Angel, yes, has been alive for, I don't know how many ever years it is because it's not consistent. 200 and something, yeah. Right, 200 and shmada, shmada, shmada. Um, but he was Angelus for mo- a lot of that. Before that, he was Liam, who is just all manner of drunken frat boy, wow. basically. Um, yeah, there you go. And then, you know, he has not had social interaction. So but here's the problem with that. It's not like they do a factory reset on Angel when no, he I know. gets right. desold and resold and everything. Angel is kind of just a combination between Liam and Angelus with, you know, all of this life experience added onto it. Um, that, no, you hmm. valid, valid, very valid point. Yeah, um, and I ha- Angel is such a weird character, and I mean, mm-hmm. I will start to sing his praises once we get over onto his own mm-hmm. show. But I mean, like he, this, all of this melodramatic dialogue, and then once you get over onto Angel, you have him raving about going to see the Omega Man, um, or uh, hanging out with the Rat Rat Pack, and this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And he becomes such a dork. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't I, know. He was and, always a dork. I mean, this is pretty dorky. Yeah, uh, but we don't get. It's. I think it's because it's through the lens of Buffy. I always hate no, that. And I mean, like, I Jan does have a point of you know comparing this to Bella and Edward. If they never did the Angelus arc, and they just kept the Buffy and Angel doing this for seven seasons, Whoa. I would probably look on Buffy and Angel just as favorably yeah. as I do Bella and Edward mm-hmm. because this there's it's creepy, it's melodramatic. I mean, okay, it's not this is the skin of a killer, but it's still pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty cheesy and awful. It's not that much better 
And he's he does do things like coming in through her window and watching her sleep and creeping. Mm. So you know all the stuff that people keep saying. Oh, that Buffy never did this, so therefore it's superior. And I'm not I'm not trashing Buffy. I'm just saying it's not quite as good as people think. Mm. And Angel is. I mean, he's the king of the mixed messages because. Right. Uh, I mean, what the fuck is going on with their relationship? I mean, they've had like the one kiss in the in they they kissed in Angel. In, in the episode Angel. They kissed, mm-hmm. like, twice in that. Uh, and since then, has... There's not been anything yet? I don't no. know. I suspect after Prophecy Girl, when they went to the dance, they might have been having smoochies. I, Possibly. I mean, I don't uh, think mm-hmm. they've never... I, th- I don't think that's the only time that they've kissed, honestly. Hmm. But... It's probably yeah. a lot of off-screen stuff. That's, that's supposition. They don't have an established relationship True. yet. True. Right. We do get from this, it's like they have not even gone out on a date yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, Angel's like, I love you, uh, but I can't be with you. I love you so much. And Buffy's like, hey, you know, can we, like, maybe go out and, like, interact with each other outside of, you know, killing vampires? And yeah. Angel's like, yeah. no, I can't be with you. <laughs> I love you so much, I forgot to brood. Right, Sorry. and then, like, what we know later on is he basically, and I'm air quoting, fell in love with her the minute he saw her. Right. When At she 15. was 15. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to be snide on an astrological plane, it's like, oh, God, like, Angel is the most Piscean boy I've ever heard of. But anyway, yeah. um, except he's huh. probably not. Yeah. I have some wild speculation here. Um, Speculate wildly. Yes, it, it it ties in with the real world. Um, <laughs> yeah, we 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 we've, we discussed a while back the idea that you know, the 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 whole subject of the original conception of the show and the place of adults in the show, and how we basically in this in Buffy's in the Buffy verse, specifically Buffy verse as opposed to the expanded Buffy verse like Angel, but okay. Adults are incompetent. Huh. Yes. And maybe yeah. some of the mixed messages and weirdness we're seeing with Angel is an echo of that. And we shouldn't see him as a romantic... I, mean, we, I don't want to see Angel as an adult if he's supposed to be a romantic pair for Buffy. Well, but he yeah. is an adult. I know he is, but... I mean, I, I, I know it's icky, but... I mean, well, also, and also, again, this may be something where the writers thought of him as an adult sometimes, and not they did. No, no, they totally and... thought of him as an adult. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I'm, I'm just wondering if there's some of that incompetence clinging to him. I think it's a great speculative theory. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And I, I enjoy that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was not sarcasm. Like I really enjoyed oh, no, that. No, thank point. you. Yes, I really no. I, I mean, I sometimes did. I sometimes I come off as sarcastic when I'm not. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I just like to make that clear, especially because you can't look me in the eye right now. Well, thank um, you. But no, I mean, I did. I introduced it as wild speculation because obviously it is. But but it, I think that's it, a fascinating piece of wild speculation. I don't know if that's what the writers were going right. for, but I don't know. I get that kind of makes sense to me, David. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was how I felt about it. Is like I don't know if there was any intent about this, but it kind of feels like it's there might be something to it. 
I, I, it, it's an interesting idea. I don't think it was intentional. I think it was mostly we have to, you know, make this couple dramatic and mm-hmm. not, yeah. you know, put them together. It, it's um, also a, a, an homage to gothic romance. Yeah. Yeah. Which explains why I hate gothic romance. So yeah, I'm not a fan of gothic romances either. So you know. I like it, but I, I I also like it in a historical context. I don't like you know looking at it through a lens of when it was written as compared to modern day gothic romance. Yeah, that makes no, sense. I, I so, understand that. Yeah, I'm so. honestly trying to think of a single time when I liked the Buffy and Angel relationship when it actually worked for me and I am really coming up short. Uh, you know, I, I waffle back and forth because I can see it through the lens of Buffy and where she is in terms of her growth, which I kind of want to get into next is Buffy's growth and development. Um, and I get that this is kind of that dramatic teenage relationship. It's your first love. It's super intense. It's, the end all and be all of things until it's not. Um, but it's not really all that deep and it's not really as intimate. And I'm not talking sexually intimate. I'm talking no. like person to person intimate. Then it, the show and Buffy and the characters make it appear to be more all consuming, intimate, the love of her life, but it's not. And I think that's the lesson you take out yeah. of high school into college is that these relationships are not what you think they are. Well, I mean, not to turn this into a Bangle versus Spuffy argument, uh, which I'm sure will happen. Um, you know, I'm but, going to put my Spuffy aside for the sake of, like, deep analysis of this show. Yeah. I can go but, I mean, somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the Buffy and Angel relationship, most, I mean, Buffy actually made comments about it in the episode Angel, where she's like, what kind of relationship could we have? honey you're in great danger and then he goes away that's basically the relationship they do end up having we don't see a lot of times where buffy and angel have conversations where they are actually interacting kind of i mean there's a few times like like maybe in what's my line when buffy is talking about how she loves skating and then they end up going ice skating together but with buffy and spike they actually for as much as they hate each other there are a lot of times where they sit down and they talk to one another about what's going on. I Buffy mean, and fuck. Spike getting drunk together is some of the best shit ever. Like, it's hilarious. In one, one of the episode, Buffy asks Spike, so what do you know about finances? <laughs> yeah. I, on, on Buffy, there honestly, there's a lot more to Spike just in general than there is to Angel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Angel, yeah. Angel is pretty... He's a cipher character wise until angel until the series angel. I think the problem there or not the problem, the issue there is that angel was always created to be the romantic object of her affection. But Spike originally wasn't. Spike was originally supposed to be just a villain and and to be, you know, a short lived character. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of, there was, you know, there was chemistry between the characters and they, they kind of forced him into the romantic role, but there's character development that Angel never got because Angel was always be, well, she's going to be fall in love with this vampire and so here he is. Mm-hmm. And they never did enough character building on Angel as Angel until, yeah, he went to his own Yeah, show. he cu- he goes over onto Angel and then suddenly it's like, oh, well, we've got to build up this character as something more. Yeah. And He's that's the star when of the I show start- now. We have to... Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's when I start to like him. It's like, yeah. oh, wow, well, well, there's an actual... There's stuff to this character. Um, I think actually probably the moment where I officially fell in love with the character of Angel is the episode Judgment. So it's the season two 
uh, first episode of season two of Angel when he sings fucking Mandy. And yeah. th- uh, they ask, and he's asked why he chose that song, and he says because he thinks it's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I may, um, and I'm 100%, I've never really, I- I've said this before, the first time I really get on board with Buffy and Angel is like season seven for 15 minutes. But um, <laughs> I-, I feel like he does get a lot of... <sighs> He gets a little more fleshed out in season three after he comes back, um, yeah. mm. which is both a good thing and a bad thing, considering his better chemistry with Faith and their sort of his attempt at redeeming her or helping her redeem herself than he does with Buffy throughout the course of his time in the show. But he does get. Yeah, I do like Buffy and Angel a little more in season three, just because so much of that season was spent actually deconstructing the relationship. Well, here we are very, it is idealizing it and we still have not reached it. We've got to get to the point where surprise and innocence is actually earned and it's a bit hard to get to. Um, And then what, once we get to that, I love that part. I love them as villains. But then once we get to our enemies, and then once we get to season three, we've got to see why this relationship will not work. I think they went into season three with the intention of knowing that they're going to write this relationship absolutely knowing that it'll never work. And I think that oh, yeah. sort of colored it, made it more more complex, which is nice. Yeah, well, um, with season three, they already knew that David was going to be going over onto his own show mm-hmm. because I heard as early as uh, the end of season two that they were planning to make a show. Um, there, there were already rumors about that when uh, uh, Becoming happened. Uh, so... Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he was going to have to get written out of this universe regardless of whether he got the spinoff it's not sustainable i mean i think i invest a little bit more in buffy and angel you know just because you invest in buffy because i invest in buffy and so when she has to break her own heart it breaks my heart you know and i remember i mean obviously i've never been in love with a vampire that i know of um i have a lot of dates that i only ever saw after sundown though um, okay, sorry. <laughs> mm. uh, but they were like drummers in a rock band, so you know, whatever. Um, I'm not sure that actually makes it more well, or less. I've only been I with know, emotional vampires, but so. anyway. So I remember this kind of really like all-consuming, like you are everything, and how heartbroken I was when. And we're gonna get to this when we get to surprise and innocence. They ended up being not so great. Right. So. Yeah. I, I. I. The thing with me with Buffy and Angel is I really think that for a lot of the characters and the relationships on the show, I can look at it from a Watsonian point of view, where it's like I want you know look at it from a realistic point of view. But with Buffy and Angel, I'm always very doyless, where it's like this is not entertaining for me. Go away. No. No. I absolutely. No. I completely understand mm-hmm. where you're coming from. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I I think we'll get more heavily into this kind of, I think, as we're approaching those episodes where... Oh, definitely. Um, the other thing I kind of was thinking about, and this is sort of off on a different path, if you don't mind, does anybody mind? Go for okay. it. No. Um, so I'm, I'm driving in my car, as I do when I drive, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking about, like, the stuff with Giles and Buffy, and how he's, like, so on her, and so on her, and... I mean, and at the end, I think Giles does learn an incredibly valuable lesson. 
Because she's like, I know, I lied to you once. I had one drink. And, and he's like, and I'm going to call it a lesson learned. And there was no punishment. And he says, you're right. I do need to give you more chances to be who you are and not come down on you like that. And, you know, so that I really, I enjoyed that growth of them as like a, a parental relationship, mm-hmm. a familial relationship. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys caught no, that. No, no, I agree with you. And it's all because yeah. of Willow. Yes. And it is all because of Willow. And I think that's amazing. And that actually then furthers his relationship with Willow. The thing that I I really got out of this episode, and it's why I like it more, even though it's completely distasteful and gross in its thesis, is the little moments. Like, if Giles had just let Buffy kind of hang out with her friends more and go to the bronze, she may not have bought into Cordelia's whole sales tactic and going with the guys because she would have felt more secure because at this yeah. age lying sneaking around and testing boundaries that's exactly what teenagers do right it's yeah. a thing it's totally a thing. yeah she was acting out more because she wasn't you know given like a a, a small little bit of freedom and, right, and teenagers on, giles is still structure giles is still trying to f- figure out his place out mm-hmm. as Buffy's watcher. I felt in this episode he was very Wesleyan, in this and he was also super funny. That's why oh he, he was, was great. Very... He's ridiculously oh, like God. inept at the whole fighting he, thing. He is not good at the fighting thing. Which I was going to say, that except he is. But he is. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I kind of yeah. like, maybe it's a Greenwald thing, but I that actually endeared to me. I, I mean, I know it's like Tony Head is just really, really good at anything. Oh, he can I play know. villains. And he's just, I just love the physical <clears throat> comedy, especially when he was like in the hallway practicing and they suddenly come up and like see him being dorky. Yeah. Maybe that's not perfectly in character for Giles, but it was adorable. No, wait, at this point. It no, is. it's adorable. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I wonder if they, they did that intentionally to set up the fact that in a couple of episodes, we're going to get this big reveal that, you know, Giles was, was kind of a badass and, and yeah. i think and i think giles is really trying hard to not be a badass mm-hmm. and yeah. i think that badassery is only triggered when there's grave danger yeah and he needs it and so the, but yeah he's such a bumbling fool in this and it's so adorable yeah, yeah but he like, is i had that precise thought that i was like oh god he's acting like wesley yeah, yeah. but better because he's adorable yeah, well, I mean, when Wesley first comes when Wesley first comes in, I believe that episode has audio commentary on it from Joss, and I think Joss calls Wesley the ghost of Christmas past for yeah, that, makes sense. that makes sense. Um, but I mean, yeah, the way Tony plays it is it's just freaking endearing, and I love it. And that scene at the end where he he's learning, and I appreciate that because the the grown ups in this world are incompetent except for Giles. Yeah, and, and so like David's mistake, point, he, David, of course, corrects. He does actually, yeah. figure out how not to be incompetent in, in Area X until the next thing happens. Yeah, he's one of the I, few adults that learns from his mistakes. Yes, yeah. he absolutely he's still, does. He's still at this point trying to conform to the Watcher Slayer dynamic and make Buffy fit into that Slayer mold that she will never fit into. Um, and, you know, it's like, no, you must go out patrolling. By the way, you know, note of trivia, this is the first episode where the word patrolling is used. Oh, my God. Nice. Really? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Before this, it was always referred to as hunting. Oh. Um, but the, it, now it's patrolling and it will be patrolling until the very end of the show. Because it becomes uh, regimented. She's not hunting one individual vampire or one yeah. problem. She's just doing a routine. But, oh, that's interesting. Good, good trivia. And it also sort of feeds into that idea of her being, you know, 
later in the end of season three, the class protector thing, it changes the dynamic of what she does. She doesn't yeah. seek out fights, although at some point she does. That's part of her psychology. She's protecting things. She's making yeah. sure everything's on the up and up, which I think is very nice. Uh, yeah. uh, Speaking of so, psychology, who had something else? I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, just talking about patrolling, um, fuck Xander and his undermining of Buffy by oh, using yeah. Giles to be like, well, oh, Buffy should go out patrolling so that she doesn't go to this party. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was talking about in terms of Xander being like totally icky and skeevy in this episode. Yeah, see, because, I, I, yeah, I don't break I that out. I, that's just Xander doing his usual thing about like being jealous of guys and Buffy. Yeah, but it's Xander like, does not mm. get to control Buffy's fucking autonomy. And yeah. that's a lot. And then he and then he white knights her by going into the frat house. And like, I just ugh, Xander is really freaking gross in this episode. Yeah. And I mean, granted, I thought Tom was skeezy as fuck. I mean, like that whole, you know, oh, you know, I'm self-effacing and I'm not like the other boys. <laughs> right. I'm I a mean, nice guy, first, trademark. Okay. Now, the first time you guys saw this episode where you're like, oh, that guy's bad, too. Yeah. yeah, like there was ne- there was never a question that he was ever a good guy. And he think- was he was totally yeah. evil. And no, they was right. tr- I think they were trying to play the oh maybe he's not so bad. I'm like, dude, come on. He's yeah, he definitely to. did that because I mean, she's Callie says uh, there's one who's nicer than the other, but that's the one you got to watch out for. He's a yeah. dick. Yeah, he's, who was she he's, talking about? He's the epitome of of the saying the most important thing is sincerity. Once you can fake that, you've got it made. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So. um... Also, you know, and so this episode gets to me with Buffy a lot. And I've talked about this on the podcast a couple of times that sort of that way Sarah plays that sort of like heartbreak and that sort of darkness inside. And I just I kept thinking about this. I thought about the thing with Giles, which, which led to me go going to teachers push boundaries, which leads me to. Oh, God, this is terrible. You guys are going to hate me to thinking about developmental stages. <laughs> Because that's what I study, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, and, and it makes you horrible. We hate you now. Right. Yes, you're a <laughs> monster. But um, so there's a, there's a stage which teenagers have. It's it's a it's like a, a pretty standard. It's not you know fully 100 percent across the board. It's like identity versus role confusion, and Buffy never gets to move past that stage of her life because of the Slayer stuff. Her high, whole mm-hmm. identity is formed around the Slayer stuff. Yeah, And so she doesn't have any ability to do things like go to a frat party responsibly or go to a non-frat party responsibly mm-hmm. and do all these kind of irresponsible boundary testing things that she is trying because it always comes back to the sacred duty of it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I just, well, I just, I, I started thinking about But Buffy's you're right, there is kind psychology. of a, a rest of development with her because she can't break out of that mold well i mean i have mentioned before i mean i don't know if this plays into like the biology of the slayer but i am fairly certain that slayers are absolutely hardwired to not live past yeah the teen years and i'm yeah, pretty sure the um the, what is well, it Robin, the the, the, I mean, the cruciamatum or whatever it's called the test that she's supposed to go through when she's 18 i'm actually pretty sure that's a test to actually get rid of slayers yeah, that I, are I getting to be right. too old and you know therefore you know 
getting out of the control of the Watcher's Council. So I'm pretty sure that the Slayer thing actually, yes, does yeah. keep an arrest But because of their um, proximity to the Slayer, Willow and Xander have some of the same kind of role confusion issues throughout their lives, too. So they get at, not as derailed, because Xander actually sort of moves forward and develops a little bit more. Of course, here is part of my problem with all of, you know, the idea of an arrested development. Uh, the show ends when they're like 22. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is still incredibly young. Yeah. That's Your like basically... brain's not even fully developed at that right. point. Yeah, that's, that's like graduating from college. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... Um, I mean, Zan, um, one thing in, you know, watching a couple of season six episodes, I'm like, oh my God, Xander's so young to be getting married. And granted, he does not. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> spoiler. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, we have a spoiler alert on the beginning of the podcast. Yes. So I think we're okay. Yeah. I think we're okay. I mean, but, I mean th- it's, it's not hard and fast. I knew people who actually got married while they were in college when I was in college. So it's not out of the realm, but yeah, yeah. still very young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, like everybody on this show, it, it it ends when they're incredibly young. And I think actually, in conversations with dead people, uh, was it Holden? Holden, uh, yeah, says Buffy. Holden mentions it, that, you know, how old are you? You're not that old, you know, yeah. you don't have to have everything figured out now. Um, yeah, um, and Buffy does have a line in this when uh, uh, they've decided to toast to maturity because those two assholes are just trying to make Buffy feel older than she is. And she, <clears throat> instead of taking it as this is her being older, she says, I'm sick of being mature and then downs her drink. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. she wants to be a teenager a little bit. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. when it comes to the marriage thing, I feel like it is, they're young, but you look at wartime marriage rates oh, and how yeah. young people get. And these, these kids are constantly at war. It may be a war that a lot of people oh, don't see. Oh, wow. yeah. My, my That's mom- a really nice point. That's actually brought up a lot when it comes to Harry Potter, because yeah. you have, like, uh, James and Lily were, like, 21 when they died. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the Longbottoms were probably around the same age. So you have all of these people that had kids just, like, basically right out of school yeah. because they didn't know if they were going to live past 25. Yeah. Right. And that's what I know in World War Two. that was, like, a really big thing that people married very young. Well, my mom, they, my mom got married at 17 and a half. My mom wow. was 21 when she got married, but that well, course, was 1968, so. Yeah, no, my mom got married in, like, the early 40s uh, <laughs> for her first my marriage. My sister got married at 23 yeah. this February. Yeah. Blessings yeah. be upon her. Oh, her good wife. for her. But I know, yeah. they're adorable. <laughs> yeah. My mom, was, see, my, mom was, my mom was 23 in 1957, and she was considered an old maid. Most of her friends hmm. and her cousins were already married. <laughs> Seriously, because she and my dad were together for, like, five years dating, and they were friends for several years before that. I'm yeah, not getting married. married the first time till I'm 45. I am the oldest of old hag maids in the entire universe. Good for yeah, you. No, I mean, excuse me, I'm, I'm older good than you, you and I'm still not married, so hey. Yeah. 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 My, no. my parents were 23 when they got married. They yeah. just yeah. celebrated their 40th anniversary. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I should point out that my, my mother was 17 and a half, but she was a junior in college. Right. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> she, my mother was... Uh, at the time, the youngest person ever to enter Hunter College. So it's amazing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Smarty pants. Oh, and then and then she dropped out in her junior year to get married. So yeah. well done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, awesome. I mean, by the time you get to the '90s and sort of the personalities and the lifestyle of the Scooby Gang, 22 right. seems so young as opposed yeah. to 
My mother right, who yeah. got married when she was 21 and she finished mm-hmm. college and had already enrolled in a master's program. You know? Yeah. No, right. I mean, I look at the Scoobies now and I'm just at uh, 22 and I'm like, you guys are babies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. And um, I think we forget that in some ways because they were in their late 20s. I mean, Sarah's yeah. actually the youngest one. She's only a year or two younger than Buffy. You're yeah. I'm sorry, older right. than Buffy. I yeah, and I mean, like, 19 or something when she started. When I grew up watching this show, and I was, um, I was, uh, I am, Buffy was supposed to be born in 81. Mm-hmm. So I was born in 83. So I'm two years younger than Buffy. Yeah. So, of so course, you the were character... right along the markers of where they were at. Basically, I right. mean, I was a little bit younger than that. So I kind of didn't get, like, the whole high school thing because I was mm. still, you know, in, like, grade school. Right. But so, I mean, they always seemed, like, so much older and it was exotic and stuff like that. But now I'm looking <laughs> back on it now and I'm like, you were babies. <laughs> oh, totally. Right. But they're, yeah, they're yeah. WB teenager Baby, right. teenager adult babies so and we'll get to that we, 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 adult babies sorry jim henson's jim henson's wb adult babies puffy <laughs> babies oh, Lord. adult uh, teenage babies baby vampires like, i i i think i graduated the same year as the class of west beverly high on beverly hills that's my that's my big thing is as the same age as the the character. Oh, you could, so you zero. could be a parent on Riverdale now? I could be a parent on Riverdale and I'd be a damn good one. <laughs> I could be a grandparent. You make you guys are making me feel ancient here, so <laughs> I'm from New I was, Mexico. I could have I could have like a twenty five year old child right now, okay? A lot of I my have friends, friends got pregnant when they were fifteen. I had friends in college. I had one set of friends who got married at the end of our our junior year and they have like 25 year old kids now who are married themselves yeah. and i have no kids yeah. so but i have other friends who have kids who are still like early teens so it's not mm-hmm. cut and dried so so but buffy. i feel old <laughs> so buffy is quite young yes but yes i yeah i did apply some erickson's developmental theory to buffy this week and i found it my therapist was super proud of me for doing that so <laughs> can, can you get extra credit for that not with my therapist well no but <laughs> my therapist no, gives school. me extra credit what are you talking about no I'll, I'll bring it up maybe i'll write a paper on developmental theory and the buffy the vampire slayer scoobies that's actually a really that's a very very good master's degree yeah paper write a fucking book that'd be, that'd be great yeah. i can't write a book anyway Actually, speaking of books and the Buffyverse, you know they have the philosophy and so and so philosophy in Harry all. Potter. Yeah. Do they have a Buffy one? It's I, a I fear. And, okay, I'm looking right at it, and it is called Fear and Loathing in Sunnydale. There's also one called Why Buffy Matters. There's Angel and Philosophy. I I own all mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, well I, I even own the one on out. Buffy and Religion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually I actually went to school with one of the people who edited the first of those volumes. Oh, um, nice. yeah. Yeah, one of my classmates ed- uh, was one of the three editors of Philosophy and the Simpsons. Oh, nice. um, that's probably very interesting. When it comes to the Buffy books, I'm always kind of wary of them because I'm always wondering how much stuff they've taken from all things philosophical on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh because um, I was friends with Masquerade the Philosopher, and I know she didn't do any of those books, but I'm pretty sure that a lot of her research and all things philosophical on Buffy the Vampire Slayer is an amazing site, which is still up there. I'll have to check that. I mean, some of them are, I mean, and there's lots of them, and 
Some of them feel really incomplete because they were written before the end of the seventh season. Some were written after the whole series was over, looking back. Yeah, I have all of them. If anybody wants me to mail you one of them one of these days, guys. And and some of them them. are are more sort of popular philosophy and some of them are really academic. Mm -hmm. There's a a wide range. Buffy has the highest rate of academic discourse than any piece of popular media. Really? Really? There's an entire Buffy Studies website and journal that has been published since the middle of, like, season four. That's That doesn't sound... I feel like there's a lot I'm thinking Sherlock Holmes probably... Oh, okay, I'm sorry. No, okay, besides Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) I, I, yes, thank you for correcting that. Besides Sherlock Holmes fandom. Maybe by, uh, if you go by year like Buffy has had a lot just in terms of uh, just the timeline since Mo- okay television years. shows out of modern television shows okay. there's the most scholarship about Buffy than I think any other modern television show yeah I'm not talking about you know Sherlock Holmes fandom which is of well, course I mean I'm also thinking about Star Trek there is a shit ton on there's Star more Trek about, yeah. yeah but anyway so I have but anyways books. off topic because yes. I am such a Buffy nerd Oh no! I mean, I've got, I've got a ton of yeah. uh, the Buffy books too. I probably I do too, lo- but that's probably it's because terrible. I'm a book keep, nerd. It's terrible. <laughs> I keep on looking away to look at my shelf of Buffy books. I and do too. Like, and you have to talk into the microphone. fucking mic. Yeah, I know. I did the same thing. Um, anyway, Buffy. And oh, Buffy! Um, yes. Buffy's well, a thing. Buffy, but yeah, it, it, I got to do it again. I'm sorry. Except I'm not. Let's talk about Courtney's resilience. Should oh, be yeah. my intro line. Yeah. That her, her bit when they when they finally get released is absolutely stunning. Oh, it's just <laughs> the when she hits the guy, and it's just like you're going away for the next ten thousand years. It was something absurd, but also the whole the strangest things happen when I'm with you guys. Yes, I yeah. hate you guys. The, 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 the you guys. I hate you guys. You guys. Yep, that oh. bit is so great. Yeah. And, and then again, she's just you like, see you her next... saved us, and then just glomps onto Angel. Angel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but you see her the next night, and with... she is back to being Cordy. Uh, I have just to... with Jonathan. I have to Jonathan, Jonathan hey, again. He, we, Jonathan gets a name in yes. this episode, and he's oh. dating Cordelia. <laughs> I don't know. He's yeah, dating he's so much. It's just he's serving Cordelia. <laughs> if you ask Jonathan, he'll say that he dated Cordelia. True Chris. that. Okay, but it seems to be yeah. a very BDSM, you know, relationship there. But as long as they're both consenting to it, hey, it makes them happy. <laughs> I, I have to say, yeah. I I honestly do not like Cordy in this episode until like honestly, that that final scene yeah. where she gives it to Tom, but. I mean, she, she, for me, she goes over the line. Yeah, just, she's a little extra. Like, like, mm-hmm. like when she goes, like, why did I let you invite me to this party? Yeah. And she's like, yeah. I'm making, I'm having you come to this party because I need you to go to my party. And here are my rules. Yeah. And, and, yep. and I also, I note Buffy ignored one of her rules. She wore black. She wore, to wear black. black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now this is probably my least favorite portrayal of Cordelia because I mean it's something felt off about it. Um, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. Cordelia is super, super, super superficial. She's superficial, all those things. But even just the whole this doctor and this fashion magazine says that if you do, the, I mean, the fake laugh is priceless. Oh, like- I think we all need to do it at the end of the episode because it's great. Right, but. 
Yeah, and it's I think it's Greenwald again, not understanding yes. how women work at all. And I mean, I also feel like, I mean, like I said in the last episode with Inca Mommy Girl, that it felt almost like a throwback to season one. I feel like Cordelia was almost a throwback to season one. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, um, other than the fact that she acknowledges that the, you know, weird stuff always happens when she's with the Scooby gang, <laughs> but, uh, the fact that she, you know, Ha- it doesn't really want to interact with Buffy at all. Um, that she's being real, she's being pretty mean. It, it is mm-hmm. a lot of it does seem to, it doesn't seem to be the actions of someone who has willingly hung out with Buffy and said that she would be there mm-hmm. and whittled snake and whittled steaks. Yeah, and and even weirdly weirdly flirting with Xander. I mean, not flirting per se, but connecting with him in some weird way. Yeah. Yeah, there's that, that laying of the groundwork again of yeah. their, the sort of tone of their relationship, the, especially when they're in the hallway. The thing is, like, when these episodes are, you know, laid out, I don't know, you know, when they get from, you know, script writing to, like, arranging where they're going to be in the season. This episode maybe was not supposed to be episode five originally. Maybe it was supposed to be episode two or something. Mm, maybe. Uh, which might have made more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, stuff and stuff like this. I mean, obviously, they are not at that point yet, and so this is just a we didn't know they were going to do this. But you know, in season three, we find out that Cordy's actually really smart and got into a bunch of good colleges. Yeah. And here, she's just an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about that in an episode in season. Mm. We talked about that a lot in um, the episode that we did on um, out of sight, out of out of mind, out of out of mind, out of sight. Right. About talking about how Cordy really, yeah, has really good scores, gets in great colleges. And actually, even in that episode, she goes up. She's totally wrong about her perception of Shylock. That's, I remember we had that conversation. Yes. Yeah. But she does go to the teacher and says, I'm yeah. having problems. I need help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's, that's also, also goes back to Cordy does what is expected and a very, like, this is what rich people do, and I need more money, and I need to marry rich. And yeah. so I'm going to date Richard. Okay, uh, so uh, we do have some music notes. Um, uh, one thing, the first thing I, I will mention is that Christoph Beck did not score this episode. Uh, oh, okay. It was actually scored by Sean K. Clement and Sean Murray. Okay, I had a question about that, though. Yes. Because all the wikis I read said that they did the original music, but it never said they did the score. On on hmm. screen, I'm sure it said they did the score, right? Uh, Does anybody remember when they were actually watching the episode with the title card said? Uh, no. Nope. Okay, because <laughs> um, a lot of... The- I, I mean, I just... Looking at IMDb and... Mm. Uh, um, all of the, the score music, it says that it was written and performed by them. Yeah. And then, so was the incidental music, though. So so were some of the songs, the actual songs with lyrics. Yeah. Were also... Um, yeah, I, I'm... I'm for, like, uh, most of the places that I go to look for um, music from these episodes, for some reason, I did not, like, mark down... Um, like e- either I skipped over where the music was, so I ended up going to IMDb, which is really not the best place to uh, find 
music. Um, so does anybody else have the music written down? Or I do. I? Um, and it is... Um, I only have... Yeah, the... It is... Blah, 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 blah. See, there's some music for you. I made some for you. Um, all of, it is, yeah. it is, um, and see, it, there are all these different tracks labeled Sean K. Clemens and Sean W. Murray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of them are actually ones, because I went and looked them up, um, that have lyrics and stuff. Oh, really? And they, and they, and they, um, and they continue through season two to, even when Kristoff is doing the score, having some actual vocal interstitial music. This like okay. stuff at the bronze or playing over the radio. Um, and so this says they did a song called Graffiti Sound, one called Devil's Lair, uh, Wolves, and Secrets. And I don't know and how if many I can't of them. Have you. What? And one called If I Can't Have and You. And one If I Can't Have You. So um, I don't there's know also many of those are time. of the score mm-hmm. and what? There's one called Brewski Time. Brewski time. Oh, that's probably score, though. That sounds like a... And then the other song that they had was Bring Me On um, by Active Faith. Mm-hmm. And one called She by Louis Says. And that's the one I always think sounds like Smashing Pumpkins. The guy's yeah. voice sounds yeah. a little bit like Billy yeah. Corgan. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Bring Me On was when Xander was dancing at the frat party, which okay. we didn't actually talk about. And oh my God, I hate that. Oh, Yeah. So yes, much. that's true. Go ahead. Let's talk about uh, it. I mean, that's basically all I have to say. It's just I fucking hate that. I just, want, I just, I just want to point out, like, it's a fraternity, so of course they have multiple paddles. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Okay, I know a little bit too much about Greek life because both my best friend was the president of her professional music fraternity, and she was in um, a like a service sorority, and my sister was uh, vice president of her music sorority so <laughs> i know too much about it even though i've never done anything with greek life those paddles you're not supposed to like show them around in the general public <laughs> oh yeah i've heard that <laughs> so um uh and i actually had a bunch of stuff about hazing but we are we are running oh yeah close to being on time so yeah and um, the other thing i really hate about that though is let's go ahead and weaponize femininity against men Exactly, yeah. I hate that, and I hate that trope. Let's make you dress like a girl so we can mock you, because girls are mockable. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, that is a shitty thing that frat boys do. I mean, there's a lot of amazing... Yeah, it is. That that ties into it, and it's horrible. Yeah, I think a a continuing motif that we're we're running into a lot in this show, just throughout the series... Huh? (laughs) Oh, yeah, well, that, but no. But also just, like, stuff where we're, like, there's stuff that's we're really kind of put off by, but it's actually kind of realistic. Yeah. It's like yeah. like a lot of the stuff about like what 16-year-old girls do that we were talking about earlier. True. It's like, yeah, it's like watching the show, it's like, uh, but okay. but it's still kind of realistic. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, the other song, She by uh, Louis Says, was... At, played at the end of the episode when Angel asked Buffy for coffee, which mm-hmm. is another thing that bothered me about this episode. We've spent <laughs> all of this time with you know Buffy and Angel going back and forth, and at the very end, she's got to play coy and shit. I mean, what kind of rules bullshit is this? <laughs> very she learned it by a man Corey. TV trope, high school girl mm-hmm. trope. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Fuck it all. 140 years or whatever. Okay. <laughs> so, I, I, I have two, two, two quick things I wanted to bring up. Um, mm-hmm. One production note. The scene where uh, Cordy is telling Buffy she needs her to come to the frat party. And she starts mm-hmm. talking about how they're like sisters. <laughs> except with different hair. Uh, like all of a sudden they cut to this extreme close up of Cordy and it just looks really weird. Yeah. It's like, what? That like makes no sense to me as an editor. And I'm just like watching. It's like, what? Maybe. I mean, I, I could come up with reasons, but the uh, other. Yeah, I was going to say there was probably a technical reason. Like yeah. they just didn't get the covering shot and they but, had to throw something in there. Exactly. But it looks weird. But the other thing is uh, early in the episode, Cordy says to Xander, I'm sure you'll eventually go to college and you'll, you know, you'll also be able to get dates or in bizarro world right. and bizarro world. no no that's right. that's later but oh i noted when she said that it's like xander does not in fact go to college no, no she yeah, he never does but she so, also makes some crack is it this week or yes. last week about him being a pizza delivery boy so mm-hmm. i think it was this that, week yeah. Yeah. yeah so it ties into that too it's like yeah. okay so uh final thoughts on reptile boy <laughs> um i really kind of like some of these relationship dynamics and willow's growth mm-hmm. Giles mm-hmm. is adorable, but other than that, David Greenwald, you're gross. Uh, on the whole, yeah, I like the human aspect of it. I definitely enjoy the way the Scoobies interact with each other. I like the development of Giles' parental role in Buffy's life. Uh, you could have hammered the penis metaphor a little more gently. <laughs> the hammer is my penis! <laughs> <laughs> when... Yeah, um, as I said, you know, it's it's a it wants to be a metaphor, an important metaphor about date rape, and it just doesn't quite get there. And it's also it's you know a par- I'm guessing a middle aged guy writing about teenage girls and just missing the mark bigly. Just hey Jan, would yeah. you say the metaphor is flaccid? Very flaccid. <laughs> <laughs> it is not a hard. The, the metaphor is just not. Yeah, forget it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's flaccid. <laughs> It needs it needs a hand. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're devolving into dick jokes. <laughs> well, okay. Come on, you've got a goddamn reptile penisaurus in this. It's got to be a dick joke. Oh, it'll be a lot worse once we get to Double Meat Palace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, David. Uh, yeah. Your thoughts. Hey. Your thoughts on meh. Um, <laughs> it's. I mean, there are some. There are some nice moments. Willow's outburst is great. Um, like Willow actually gets some, some development here, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I mean, like I said, there, you know, there's a nice moment here and there, but really overall, eh. I am going to be the extreme voice in this. Other than like maybe two moments in this episode, I fucking hate this one. <laughs> I actually, for me, I think this episode is worse than Teacher's Pet. Teacher's Pet was the fourth episode. So, I mean, there were still growing pains. By now, they should know fucking better. Oh, so you're grading on a curve. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, you're allowed. But, yeah, no, it's, I, this teacher's pet, I feel, is, you know, kind of, it's bad, but re- relatively harmless. This, I just find unpleasant. And this is one that I skip over. I do not like this one at all. You know, you know my hate on for Teacher's Pet, and I think this one is still slightly above it, mainly because the Bollywood and the hair braiding and Willow, 
but it's right there. It's like, it's only like two, no, not even 2%, like 0.5% better than Teacher's Bet. Yeah, this is not a good episode. Greenwald, do better. Do better, Greenwald. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) Okay, so I think next time we will uh, have more fun with uh, the return of Spike and Oz and the introduction of Ethan Rain. Ethan Rain! We will be reviewing Halloween. Yay! Until then, grr, arg. Grr, arg. Grr, arg. <laughs> that was my favorite. Grr, arg. <laughs>We'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the podcast and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared, liked, and subscribed on social media. We got a comment from our good friend Dawn this week on our episode School Hard. Hey, I always thought Snyder's reaction was similar to Cordelia's. No demons, vampires, or whatever was going to change who he is at his core. He reacts to them as though they were any other problems to be dealt with. Like Cordelia talking about the difficulty of getting the stain out of her sweater at the end of when she was bad. That's actually a really good way to look at Snyder and Cordelia uh, in terms of the whole uh, supernatural thing. I really don't think Snyder gives a shit if there are demons or whatever. He just wants to run his school and be a miserable little hobbit. I mean, I do think he knew about the supernatural because they do heavily hint about that and that he's covering up a lot of this stuff uh, for the mayor. But I think mostly he was just concerned about the mayor being on his good side. So it's like, Snyder don't give a shit. Snyder's just out there taking care of Schneider. So uh, thank you for your comment, and please send us more. Uh, you can contact us on our website, returntothehellmouth.com, on YouTube at Return to the Hellmouth, on Tumblr and Facebook at Return to the Hellmouth, on Twitter at Hellmouth Return, or on email at returntothehellmouth at gmail.com. And we'll uh, read your comments and uh, talk about them on the show. Also be sure to rate us on iTunes and Stitcher, and we'll see you on Tuesday for Halloween. Grr. Arg.